is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. President Biden heads east from Brussels to Poland, where he met with U.S. troops earlier today. The president telling them the consequences of the war in Ukraine could extend around the world. Now, this comes before meeting with Ukrainian refugees in the country and delivering a major address tomorrow. We go in-depth into the president's trip to Europe. Russia's military might be changing strategies as troops seem to be struggling to control key cities. Does this mean that Russia is losing? And families in Ukraine have been separated by the war. We talked to one woman from Mariupol who escaped but wasn't able to get a hold of her grandmother, who was still there. We will have an update with her. The wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas reportedly sent text messages asking former President Trump's chief of staff to try to help to overturn the 2020 election. We'll look into what problems that might cause. And the Civilian Oversight Commission charged with uh, looking over the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is going to investigate the alleged deputy gangs. The news comes days after the county's inspector general, Max Huntsman, reported uh, he'd identified 41 deputies who allegedly belonged to these uh, active gangs. We'll hear from Sheriff Villanueva about those allegations. But uh, we head first to Poland. That's where President Biden uh, was uh, or is going with us is CBS News correspondent Stephen Portnoy. Uh, Steve, uh, give us a quick update, if you can, on what the president has been up to there. Well, the, the, the 14,000 troops that are in Eastern European countries on NATO's eastern flank are here to demonstrate to the world that the uh, alliance is strong and that the United States is committed to reassuring nervous allies within the NATO alliance that the United States has their backs. The president today went to an expo center in Sheshev, Poland, where troops from the 82nd Airborne have been stationed. And he said that, uh, well, he went to thank them. He shared a slice of pizza with them. And then in a set of remarks, he said that the Ukrainian people have demonstrated the incredible strength that they have. Uh, at one point, he even said, this is a quote, you're going to see women, young people standing in front of a damn tank saying, I'm not leaving, I'm holding my ground. The president also in Sheshev uh, traveled to uh, – held a briefing with people who were running the humanitarian relief efforts, the massive efforts to facilitate the safe passage of millions of people as they flee the Russian bombardments. The president of Poland, Andrzej Duda, said that more than two million people have escaped to Poland, this country, and the uh, Poles don't refer to them, he said, as refugees – he says they call them neighbors, guests, brothers, and friends. The trip, as we've talked about before, Steve, was to show unity, right, uh, between the U.S. And, and our NATO allies. But it also showed the cracks in that unity as well. I mean, Europe is still, and understandably, I suppose, uh, not going to go along with the sanctions uh, that would decrease their dependency, at least in the short term, on Russian energy supplies. Uh, how do how does President Biden? Uh, is there any indication that President Biden was able to get around that, or is it just that's the way it is, and and that's the way it will be? I think you know the president has tried to thread the needle. I think that you're right, Charles, and you saw it was so telling to me when at his news conference yesterday the president said he called this meeting to try to essentially go directly to the allies and say, folks, we've got to stay united. I thought that was a very revealing moment because it indicated to me for the first time from the president himself that he, too, shares the concern 
that the allies might not stay united. He said that was the most important thing for him to come to Europe to do. Uh, this morning, the president was in Brussels, and before he left there, he stood with the head of the European Commission and talked about a new effort, a joint effort, a task force even, to uh, work for the next several years to wean Europe off of its dependence on Russian energy sources, particularly natural gas. And the agreement that it was reached between the U.S. and the EU is for the U.S. to essentially sell more liquefied natural gas, LNG, to Europe over the next eight years or so. The, the point is that uh, it, it's going to take time to do that. The president said it would be costly and not happen overnight. But uh, what you did have is, is, is a demonstration where the president of the United States is standing with the Western world to look east, stare Vladimir Putin down. Today, in remarks, he reiterated his view that Vladimir Putin has committed war crimes. And he stood alongside American troops who he's sent here to reassure the nervous allies. But uh, ultimately, you know, whether this trip is going to prove to be effective, we'll have to wait several weeks, maybe even months to see. Well, and that's the thing. He's been reiterating that, that last word, months, right? That's for some people who think, oh, you know, maybe there's going to be a way out of it. No, this is going to last and very well could last months and months and months. Yesterday, the president put out a statement that referenced the fact that the, the, the next NATO summit, which is an annual event that happens in June in Brussels, between now and then, NATO will work to ramp up its force posture and, and, and troop presence uh, in the eastern flank countries between now and then. So that's, think of it, the next three months, there'll be time, the president says, for NATO countries to, to think about how many more troops they're going to be sending to the region. You know, I, I am curious, uh, Steve, yesterday at the news conference, the president seemed to get a little disturbed by uh, questions about whether or not sanctions were designed to to stop uh, Putin from going into Ukraine, and he kept insisting, "No, no, no, that's not the, yeah. uh, you know, the the reason for it." But yet, uh, and I just rewatched uh, the uh, the uh, uh, soundbite. Vice President uh, Kamala Harris only in February said that the purpose of the sanctions was was to stop Putin from invading Ukraine. Have they been able, the White House, to reconcile the? the differences between Mr. Biden and his own vice president? Uh, not to the satisfaction of reporters, Charles. And, and you know, uh, look, you, you could point to quotes not just from the vice president, but also from the president's national security advisor, the president's press secretary, all of whom said that the point of the sanctions was to deter Vladimir Putin from taking the step. Um, the president, however, says, no, 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 sanctions don't deter it's the maintenance of sanctions and the ramping up of the pressure and the increase of the pain, as he put it yesterday, that will get Vladimir Putin to change course. That exchange yesterday happened between the president and my colleague, Christina Ruffini, a brilliant reporter for CBS who covers international affairs for us. And she asked a very simple question. You know, do you feel what you've done here today in Brussels is going to get Vladimir Putin to back down? The president said the answer is no. But the president is hoping, it seems, that by holding the line, holding the alliance together and incrementally ramping sanctions up, that over time, Vladimir Putin will realize what he's done to himself and his country. CBS News correspondent Stephen Portnoy. Right now, if you remember early last week, we talked with a woman named Mila, who is from the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol, that has been hard hit by the Russians. She and her family left and they went to Spain, but her grandma stayed. Mila and her family then were unable to contact the grandmother for days and days, leading to, as you can imagine, a lot of worry. Well, Mila is back with us for an update. Mila, thanks for 
coming back with us. Uh, I presume you're still in Spain, but more importantly, uh, tell us about your grandmother. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Uh, yes, uh, this uh, uh, three weeks before we, uh, almost three weeks before we managed to contact our grandma were one of the longest weeks in my life and also one of the quickest because the time uh, uh, runs so fast I uh, <laughs> cannot feel it at all and yes uh, by great luck and fortune uh, our friend uh, uh, the friend of our family managed to get uh, to help our grandma get out from besieged Maripol to the village nearby where she is safe and uh, now she is uh, in uh, uh, everybody is taking care of her and uh, Yes, since God, we are able uh, to talk to her every day right now. And it's uh, a great, great release and pleasure to hear her voice, you know. When you got the news that, that your friend had found her and they were getting her out, I mean, what what was that like for you after, after all that time? Oh, you know, uh, it was uh, through a phone call. And when we heard the grandma's voice, uh, like we started to cry literally because uh, because of joy yes because of all uh, nervous uh, nervous situation and uh, yes i felt a great release because uh, uh, you know i've had all this uh, uh, fears that uh, all this time she maybe she has run out of water or there was not enough food of her uh, of course uh, what uh, she told us, she went through literal hell, but thanks God, she she had uh, enough water and uh, um, she managed to eat something. But uh, of course, I hope uh, this whole situation will not uh, ruin her health uh, and uh, we will be able to uh, have our healthy, healthy grandma. And yes, I'm so grateful that uh, she's uh, safe and sound right now. And, and Mila, remind us, how old is your grandmother? Yes, she's uh, 80 years old. 80 years old. Now, uh, I started by saying that we presume you're still in Spain. Is that true? Are you in Spain now? Yes, yes, we are still in Spain. And also another great news that uh, my elder sister, she managed to escape Donetsk with her husband and children. And now they're going to us by car through whole Europe. It's They have three little kids and uh, it's a little bit uh, uh, also hard for them, but uh, they're out of Ukraine currently and uh, um now, like, we are all very pleased and grateful to universe and God. So, Mila, that leads to the question, of course, about your grandmother. Is she planning to meet all of you in Spain or is she staying in Ukraine? And if so, why? Um, yes. So um, our, what's the plan? I'm waiting for fire to cease a little bit at least uh, in that part of Ukraine. So I will be able to go um, because also hopefully my grandfather, uh, my father has a car there and I hope uh, this car still exists. So I will just grab my father's car, my uh, parents' medical documents and diplomas, uh, old photos of our ancestors and my grandma, and uh, I will bring her here. <laughs> 
What else did she tell you about what it was like for her in the city while all this was going on? And again, you were not able to contact her. She was not able to get a phone line out. And we know we've seen the pictures. The place is besieged. Um, you said she managed to get some food, but, you know, water got touch and go sometimes. Uh, yeah, see, uh, the whole Mariupol is uh, something like a uh, counter-strike or fallout scene. I uh, I cannot even, I, I don't believe it until I see it with my own eyes, you know. Um, my grandma said that uh, it was all very scary and uh, uh, she, uh, even she uh, was too afraid to leave her house. So she stayed all this time uh, inside and uh, Luckily, she uh, had uh, some porridge, uh, but she uh, couldn't cook it. So she just uh, um, used it with water, like for a night. So after a night, uh, you can eat, for example, buckwheat with water. So it's uh, really, uh, how to say, uh, not a pleasant experience. And she said that uh, she was praying all day. And also she said that... uh, uh, for her, it was a great release that we were out of Mariupol and she knew that uh, we were safe. This, Mila, may be uh, an impossible question for you to answer now, but uh, I'm wondering if if you have some thinking on whether you and your family, since more of them uh, are, as you mentioned, joining you now in Spain, having left Ukraine, do you think that you are all kind of on a a new journey into a new life outside of Ukraine, or do you think you are all someday going to return there? Um, you know, it. I've never felt uh, more proud to be Ukrainian than now. And uh, um, yes, uh, because uh, uh, I consider myself lucky in that situation. Or I feel it like it's a part of uh, my life journey and uh, um you know uh of course war is the worst thing that could have ever happened but at the same time i can feel the support of people around me i can feel how the whole world uh, is uniting um uh, and uh, helping ukraine and uh, uh, i feel that kindness from people so um, for myself i see it uh, yes it's a uh, sad uh, but still, it's a part of my life. It's a part of my journey. And uh, yes, uh, I would love to return to Ukraine. I don't know when it will happen. Uh, I hope it will happen very soon. And especially my parents, they also want to return to Ukraine. And um, yes, maybe uh, uh, yes, yeah, someday for sure. And uh, because we love our country and uh, uh, we are... We want to have it as as it is, you know. Mila, thank you so much for for talking to us again. We're, we're so happy that that you were able yeah. to get in touch with your grandma and that she's okay. And uh, and the we, best of luck. We to wish all you of all you. the best. Yeah. yeah. She said such a, a grandma thing earlier because she was saying how she was too afraid to leave the house and she was you know getting by on porridge, but. Grandma said she was happy that they were all yes. out of the country. That and is okay. a grandma so, thing. I yeah. know. She's <laughs> I know. Worried. I'm, not worried. I'm still worried about the kids. Yeah. You know, yeah, through no. all of that. Well, it's good. It's, it's, it's good news. Not a lot of it coming out of Ukraine, but good glad news. we found some. 
You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. While President Biden is in Poland, a Russian military indicating it might be scaling back its operations in Ukraine. Uh, one general says Russia will now focus more on the Donbass region in the east, where the Russian-backed separatists have been fighting since 2014. So uh, does this show Ukrainians are winning right now? Journalist Phil Etner is with us again. He is in Lviv. That's in western Ukraine. Phil, thanks for being back with us. So I guess that's the, the, the question. Does it appear as if the Ukrainians are not just at a stalemate with Russia? Are they actually starting to win this thing? Well, you know, the, the fortunes of war can turn on a dime, but certainly it does look like there has been a counteroffensive by the Ukrainians that has been quite successful, actually, in um, repelling and taking back some ground northwest of the capital. Um, we are also hearing of a number of areas that might now, that have been in Russian hands being perhaps contested, including the city of Kherson. Uh, but the fighting remains intense out in the far eastern areas, uh, the, the breakaway republics of Donbass and Luhansk. Now, it might be a face-saving measure by the Russians to say that they are going to change their focus away from the capital simply because there is such fierce resistance on those counteroffensives. But ultimately, the objective from the very beginning, those of us who have been watching uh, Ukraine and Russia uh, for many years know that uh, the resolution of a way to sustain the uh, Black Sea port at Sevastopol and one of Russia's primary naval fleets there, that is based there is a strategic necessity for Russia. And so whatever comes out of this conflict, uh, the Russians are going to very much try and control the strip of land that connects uh, Russia, uh, Russia's mainland to that Crimean Peninsula and while they may have hoped to capture Kiev, uh, they, they will try and turn creating a land bridge from Russia to Crimea uh, as their primary objective and try and eke out some way of, of claiming success and victory uh, by gaining that land bridge. So then we look ahead to the next steps and we see it on you know, the cable channels. Everybody has their maps out and they say Russia is going to start maybe trying to bring in some more reinforcements to do what you're talking about. And then the importance of the moment for the Ukrainians is get as much in terms of munitions into the country to help them out so they can keep doing this push. Because even they, as inspired as they are, you know, no side of this can sustain forever. No, absolutely not. I mean, there there is uh, talk here in western Ukraine where there is a semblance of it's very odd being here guys it's it's a bubble uh where uh the, the, we see the refugees we do get uh air raid sirens on a consistent basis but we're stable still able to kind of have a a spring uh that's that's sprung here the the ice is melting uh, and people are kind of out on the streets trying to have a normal life. There's a cafe culture here. It's a very odd feeling, but um, they they are saying here. Uh, many uh, military experts have kind of drawn back here to the safety of Lviv, and that allows us to get access to them. And we are getting commentary of them saying, you know, we're going through so much munitions that it might get to the point where we're going to start to run out. And they are asking for more support in terms of giving them the weapons that they need. And I mentioned the thought just quickly in addition to that, because there's been a lot of talk in recent days of a potential fourth front opening up out of Belarus. Well, the, the snow 
and the ice melting means that a lot of that area is going to turn into mud, and there's a marshland area that could have perhaps been used while it was still frozen to launch a, a front uh, against the western Ukraine and try and block any kind of supply chain going to the capital. But because of that mud, they are now limited to a, a wedge area between the marshlands and a river basin that still gives them access to maneuver towards the capital, but it won't let them stop the supply chain. So if the Ukrainians and the international community can come to an agreement on reinforcing and resupplying, that can still happen now that we are moving into spring. Journalist Phil Itner with us again. Phil, thank you as always. He's in Lviv there in western Ukraine. Well, text messages have uh, put the spotlight on the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. CBS News and The Washington Post say Virginia Thomas sent a series of text messages to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows asking him to do something to overturn the 2020 presidential election. February last year, the Supreme Court's rejecting challenges to the election. Thomas, the only uh, dissenter, uh, saying the ruling not to hear arguments inexplicable. With us now, David Katz, legal analyst, former federal prosecutor, criminal defense attorney in Beverly Hills. David, thanks for being back on the show. So this is one of those where we sit and we go, where do we start with this one? Um, But here's one place to start. This was not like a casual, hey, something should be done about this. She apparently, according to these texts, was, was pretty unrelenting. She sent over 20 text messages to the White House chief of staff, uh, blatantly urging him to do anything he could to uh, subvert our democratic process. I mean, that's what happened to frustrate Joe Biden's victory. By then, it was clear that Biden had won. The election had been called for him, and she was trying to keep Trump in power. Now, to some extent, she has the right to free speech. There's an issue whether she was actually part of a conspiracy to do something more sinister because she wanted attorney Sidney Powell to be kept on. Uh, She made some very um, imprudent comments in those emails that the Congress now has because when Chief of Staff Meadows turned over the email messages among the thousands of them, boom, there they were, the 20 from her and about eight or nine responses uh, from Meadows. Even more damaging to her and to Chief Justice Thomas, she admits in there that she consulted with her husband, that she was going to talk to her best friend about trying to achieve her aims of subverting the government. Now, that's also a problem for Thomas, except that on the Supreme Court, there's nobody above them to say you are acting unethically. There's nobody above them to say you need to recuse yourself from this case. Some people think the chief justice can do that. He cannot. There's no court above the Supreme Court that you can review it to. So my suggestion, guys, is that there ought to be two more justices on the Supreme Court, which is a power that Congress has. So you know that a decision is not being made 5-4 just by uh, Thomas, that you know that it's being made 6-5, and that there's two new justices to make sure that Thomas is not the swing vote, which right now he is on most of these really contentious issues, including the January 6th hearings. So, David, is there no mechanism in the Constitution to get rid of a Supreme Court justice? They can impeach him the same way they tried to impeach Trump twice. The House would have to vote by a majority, but then the Senate would have to convict and remove a Supreme Court justice by two-thirds. So you'd never be able to get the, you know, diehard Republicans, the 
the true conservatives, because Thomas does vote their way. As soon as you know what the political issue is in the case, not the legal issue, the political issue, you know how Thomas is going to vote, which is a tragedy of how the courts become so politicized. But we've seen it now year in and year out. And he's the only dissenter who says that Trump has executive privilege not to turn over these records about January 6th. And then you see that they incriminate and implicate his own wife. Uh, you think to yourself, come on, this isn't justice. This is some banana republic. But to answer your question, there's really nothing that can be done except to impeach Thomas on this basis or to add two more justices so that he's not a swing vote anymore. OK, so th- so let's take it from a different angle. Is there any mechanism under law that you're aware of where the chief justice's wife could be in legal peril on the grounds that, and I'm kind of trying to formulate this in my own mind, that she is trying to unduly influence a judge. That's fascinating. Uh, I think when you're someone's wife, you get to fairly or unfairly influence (laughs) them because he says she's his best friend. And from her own email, they talk about everything, included they talked about this basically insurrectionist plot. These aren't just emails from November 3rd or 4th when she called the election a heist without having any evidence. But she continued to say that after the Associated Press called the election, after the lawsuits were going nowhere, they lost 60 out of 60 in all the federal courts, all the claims were deemed bogus, and yet she still pushed this agenda that Sidney Powell should be put in charge as the lawyer and that they should um, you know, basically prevent, do everything possible to prevent uh, Biden from taking office and to keep Trump in power. Uh, and so there really is not very much that can be done about it under current law. As I say, they're talking about passing a code of ethics. But if Thomas asks, acts unethically, who is there to enforce it? And then Nobody. realistically, we're still in this world where she's going to say, uh, you know what? I was talking about my other best friend. I wasn't talking about him. She doesn't mention him outright in the text. And then they'll go back to what they've said before, which is, uh, I've been an activist for a long time. We don't discuss our work at home. And then you must believe us because you're not in the house with us. Well, she was also communicating with Jared and a couple of other people. And uh, Eastman, you know, had been a clerk for her husband, just like Laura Ingram and uh, the lawyer who argued that Trump could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. And as long as he was president, they no one could do anything about it. So there's sort of this this clique of people who've clerked for Justice Thomas. I think it's become not a very desirable clerkship. I mean, that's not the only remedy against what Thomas is doing. But it has to be said, while it's the honor of a legal lifetime by now, I mean, Thomas has so tarnished his brand. But that's not going to stop him from doing it. Um, so you have all of that to contend with. And I think that in terms of her being part of a conspiracy, you know, there's a lot more to come out. They kind of got lucky with these 20 texts of hers among these 9,000 documents. That's just for Meadows. Think about what else they may also have. People who had conversations with her. Apparently she was close to the person who was indicted as part of the coup uh, insurrection attempt at the Capitol, the, uh, the Oath Keeper. So there may be a lot more shoes to fall, um, more than the usual two shoes uh, to fall for her. Um, And then, of course, you know, it does implicate her husband. I mean, at some point it becomes so embarrassing. You know, what did uh, Sotomayor say? There's like a stench that comes from the Supreme Court, whereas that's supposed to be the institution that actually mediates when there's a fight between the legislative branch and the executive branch. Not that one of the justices' wives should be a super partisan 
of uh, of the two of them. He's supposed to be a fair arbiter, Thomas. I think he's completely lost. If anyone thought that he was that, I think they'd see him as nothing but a, a hack in a black robe. David Katz, legal analyst, former federal prosecutor, criminal defense attorney in Beverly Hills. David, thanks. This is KNX In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Felt. The civilian commission that oversees the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is launching an independent investigation into allegations of deputy gangs operating in the department. The inspector general released a list uh, this week that he says includes 41 members of these alleged gangs. Sheriff Alex Villanueva has long said these cliques, as he calls them, are overblown. The sheriff is with us now. Thank you for being with us, Sheriff. Uh, So my first question to you is, uh, is your department, are you uh, going to cooperate with this independent investigation? Well, let's stop by calling it independent investigation. It's the last thing from being independent. The COC, in the middle of a campaign for sheriff, is launching this after three years of doing nothing but saying there are gangs and they have an investigation, followed by the Inspector General, the Board of Supervisors. This is a coordinated attack, and please don't insult the word independent with this. It's, what, six former federal prosecutors, public defenders. Uh, They can't all be out to get you working behind the scenes for, for Max Huntsman, though. Who assembled this group? The Civilian Oversight Commission that voted to remove me from, uh, call me to resign, appointed by a board who voted three to two to call for my resignation and find any way possible to remove me from office. But let me ask you something, Sheriff. What is it, because it sounds like, like you're a man who is afraid of what a commission or an investigation might find. Are you, are, are you afraid? And what are you afraid of? Absolutely not. Because this is a witch hunt. Every single actionable thing that I can do, possibly, that is legal, we have already done. Every single investigation on every incident that needs to happen has been thoroughly investigated. The inspector general has all of the information. I assume he briefs the oversight commission with the status of these investigations, because not all of them can be released publicly because they're confidential personnel matters, some of them. And what new information have they developed since I've taken office? They haven't. Nothing. This is a rehash of the same tired trope about deputy gangs, deputy gangs. And I say, identify one. So then if that's the case, why not just, you know what, and, and maybe it'll be a total drag for, for you guys, but open everything up, say, you know what, come on through, you're not going to find a thing. And then you come out and say, They didn't, and now once and for all this is solved, uh, we're not talking about this anymore. We've already done that with the Inspector General, who has access to absolutely every single investigation we've done, both administrative and criminal. The problem is they cannot refuse to acknowledge that I have terminated people, I've suspended people, I've transferred people, I've removed entire leadership of a station my first day in office, I created policy, that policy is now state law. I've actually done criminal investigation of my own employees and referred them for prosecution to the DA's office. Tell me what left can I do that I have not done? Please, I, I want them to identify that. So are you satisfied then, Sheriff, that except for maybe a few bad apples, these uh, alleged deputy gangs don't exist? I'm satisfied that they never existed in the first place. Yes, At all? We're gonna- we're going to have a bad apple here and there. We're a large organization, and we recruit from the human race, by all means. And that 
that we have the policies, the procedure in place, and the personnel to hold people accountable, and we're doing that. And if we miss somewhere, I'd love to hear about what we missed and how we could fix it. That would be an entertaining discussion to have with the Oversight Commission and the Inspector General. But that's not a discussion they want to have. Never existed in the first place or never existed under your watch? Because the story goes that that this has been years and years and years. And if they never existed, why did the county pay out, what, north of $50 million in settlements linked to them? They paid out $55 million over 30 years. So they did exist then. San Diego County paid out $85 million in one incident. This is 30 years, $55 million. Let's put that in perspective. Let's compare that to what the county health or health services department pays out. I mean, we have to put these in perspective. And they were settlements. Not a single case went to trial. And I'm realizing now that all we've done is created a cottage industry of trial attorneys that all they have to do is throw an allegation in there in the county right away all right so going going forward and i i don't want to put words in your mouth sheriff but but if you obviously are not going to cooperate with this investigation is that right i just want to be clear in that no 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 see you're twisting my words no i, I said i said no i gave no 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 i'm not gonna let you do that what i said to you was i didn't want to put words in your mouth and i wanted to be clear on this are you going to investi- uh, cooperate with the investigation? Because it doesn't sound like you're intending to do that. Is we, that a, a good assumption or not? That is a very bad assumption. Okay, so tell, We're so, going to give them all the information they're legally entitled to, which would be the same information the inspector general already has. That is the whole point of this. This is an exercise. Basically, it's a campaign against me as I'm running for re-election as sheriff. They sat on their hands for three years. What new information do they have to decide now we're going to do this whole new group? A political body that's elected appoints a political body who appoints a political body to then beat up on the sheriff. And that this does not impress me. This list of 41, your thoughts on that? Uh, notice how he didn't name them. Why? <laughs> Why he didn't name them? Yeah, I mean, he's so certain of it. Name them. I don't think that's usually the way investigations work, do you? Well, wait a minute. Did he do an investigation, yes or no? That's the whole point. He goes, I don't think people understand the role of the Inspector General and the Oversight Commission is to be an advisory body, for, for, for but, starters. But isn't, it, but, but isn't it becoming kind of a cliché, Sheriff, to, you know, you say it's a witch hunt, and everybody who is investigated for almost anything in this country nowadays says it's a witch hunt. Sometimes you just have to let it happen. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, yeah. Mike and I were talking before, uh, you know, if somebody's being investigated by the sheriff's department, say, for an alleged crime, they could probably turn around and say, aha, uh-huh, it's a witch hunt. So, no. Why not? Well, when I investigated a crime, and yeah. the suspects in the crime are members of the Board of Supervisors or the Inspector General, and this is based on criminal complaints that we received, we act on it. What is the first thing that comes out of their mouth? Oh, my God, he's retaliating against us because we're trying to hold him accountable. It's retaliation. That's the first thing they say. We do not investigate individuals. We investigate allegations of crime. If the county oversight commission wants to investigate an allegation of a crime, please do so. Cough it up. Give it to us. We'll also investigate and let's compare notes. But they're not doing that. That's the whole point. Sheriff Alex Villanueva with us on In-Depth. Sheriff, thanks for the time. Well, Hollywood's biggest night. 
Sunday. Yes, it's back. The Oscars. The 94th version of the Academy Awards will be held again at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood. Things are getting back to normal, sort of. Three years without a host, and now we've got three of them. All women, Wanda Sykes, Amy Schumer, Regina Hall. The ratings have been on the decline. Is that going to change this year? What surprises might we see with us is Emily Yar, entertainment and pop culture reporter for The Washington Post. Emily, thank you. So here's the uh, setup that we see every year before the Oscars as of late. All those ratings, they're going to be bad again. What's the show going to do to to fix it? Uh, Is it just a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of feels like it is. Um, I think, yeah, everyone kind of knows award shows in general. All the ratings have dropped across the board um, pretty much over the last few years. So as with all the other shows, the Oscars are trying to figure out a way to get people to tune in. So um, I think having hosts back um, might help a bit. I mean, the last few years, um, there hasn't been anyone. It's a very thankless job, usually. So, yeah, they're hoping that Regina Hall and Amy Schumer and Wanda Sykes might be able to help. You know, they're they're starting this, uh, they have a new kind of honorary award where audience members can pick their favorite movies. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of attempts to try to bring audiences back. You know, and I know there's this endless debate about do you give awards or nominate movies that people actually, I don't know, want to see or do you do it based on just artistic merit? But uh, that being said, one of the ways I suppose to get ratings would be to nominate movies that a lot of people care about. Do we have movies this year that have been nominated that a lot of people really care about? I just say, I mean, a lot of the movies were kind of smaller ones, um, but they were also offered on streaming services. So say you hadn't heard of the movie Coda um, on Apple TV, if you had heard about it word of mouth, it does make it easier to kind of catch up. Um, similar with, you know, the Netflix movie Don't Look Up and King Richard was on HBO Max and Power of the Dog was on Netflix. So there were, it was easier to watch them. Um, it's still kind of hard to tell how familiar people are with them. But I think, you know, then, of course, you get the question every year, like, why wasn't Spider-Man nominated? Which is what they're trying to kind of combat with giving, like, audiences a chance to vote in this new Twitter poll, which I don't know how well that's gone over with a lot of Academy members, but that's sort of the attempt with that. Who's the show for and i think the times was asking this um in their article today or yesterday because you know there's that battle versus uh you know this is supposed to inspire or or reward you know more the craft filmmaking instead of the blockbuster stuff but then some of those categories are getting pre-taped and those people who you know are supposed to be part of the show are, are mad about that so i mean what are they really actually going for here or have they not yet decided their new angle Yeah, it seems like the Academy is still trying to figure that out, and that has been a huge debate this award season, because, right, so they they announced in February that they were going to remove eight categories from the telecast, including things like original score and editing and makeup and hairstyling, and this caused... um, a lot of backlash uh, for people in the film community, for movie fans, and it kind of seemed like the Academy is trying to capture an audience that might just never be interested in the Oscars in the first place. So I think a lot of people kind of think that they should cater to the audiences who are going to really care about these kind of things, just people that really love movies and behind the scenes of movies and not worry about yeah trying to capture the attention of people who love mostly superhero films who may not be super interested in watching the show in the first place. So here's a question that's likely to insult a lot of people in Hollywood, uh, but I'll ask it anyway. Why, why is he it? He loves making friends. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love, <laughs> I love that. But why is it, uh, Emily, that for a town filled with with really talented people, 
almost year after year, there are some exceptions, but almost year after year, they succeed in writing and producing and executing one of the most boring shows you could watch on television. How do they achieve that? And should there be an award for that? <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think there are some people that would probably agree with you. I think some people kind of um, tune in to award shows kind of knowing exactly what they're going to get and, and really don't consider those kind of things boring. I mean, I think there's something crazy that happens every year, regardless of how slow um, you think the show actually is. But yeah, again, you aren't, you're not alone in that. They're always plenty of complaints year after year that they need to do something to kind of spice up the show. This year, I know they're making it shorter. It's going to be three hours instead of, you know, three and a half. So we'll see, <laughs> wow. see how much that wow. helps. Wow, they really shaved <laughs> off. Um, it's part of the problem, too, that I can feel like I've watched the thing even if I haven't, if I just go on Twitter every, like, 15 or 20 minutes, because I'm going to see the highlights there, even if I'm not watching it on my TV. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the fun part of tuning in with, I mean, that's, it's one of the few live collective TV moments, you know, we really have left are these award shows. Um, because, right, even if you're not really paying attention, um, Twitter will very quickly catch you up to speed on if anything embarrassing or weird or just, you know, funny happened and so that is another way you can experience the show and also i feel like a lot of people just the next day look at that they don't even watch it you know the night it's on okay so so now emma can i ask you a question and you'll get mad at me now for this question (laughs) uh if you were not the entertainment and pop culture reporter for the washington post and you can hear this one coming would you watch the the oscars be honest um, well, I mean, I think I would because I love live TV. I mean, there okay. is just always the possibility that literally anything could happen. So that is, I think, even if I wasn't as interested in the movies or everything around the movies, like I would just want You'd to watch see it. if anything happened. Okay. Yeah, just to see sure. if they say, you know, give best picture to the wrong movie. Okay. Something like exactly. that. Exactly. I right. will yeah. never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're not, you're not angry with me then. No, no, no. Okay. All right. Emily Yar, uh, Pop Culture, Washington Post. Emily, thanks. That's in-depth for today. Back next week, Wait, are you going to watch it? 1 p.m.? No. Yeah, no. But we'll both talk about it on Monday. Watch it on Twitter. Because we're both going to watch it. Yeah. (laughs)